0: Happy New Year and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the event's conversation. Brought to you by Hirespace. This episode, we have a bit of a special for listeners just starting out in the industry. We have Joseph Yammerbund, executive producer, event consultant and lecturer in the studio to talk to us about mentoring programmes.
1: You have a very different relationship with a mentor than you would do with, let's say, a line manager.
0: Then, Ella Priest, apprentice at London venue 58VE, joins me in the studio to talk about apprenticeships and her first year in the industry.
2: For me, I can't be sitting with books. I don't want to be in a classroom. I just want to go and actually get into the working world.
0: But first, our team of experts are back with the first news digest of the year. Edward Poland, Charlotte Gentry, and Richard Groves discuss what the UK election results mean for the events industry, trends in 2020, and the NOEA Respect Campaign. Evening,
3: everyone. Evening, Ed. Evening, Ed. And welcome to 2020. New decade. New wow. yeah. decade, Charlotte Gentry. Hello. How are you doing? Happy
4: New Year. Very well, thanks. Fat Good. and happy.
3: Fan happy. Fat and happy. T- everyone, I mean...
4: Fan happy because um, there is a little being growing, and he's growing fast. For April,
5: Friday. Friday.
4: April, yeah. April, new addition to, yeah, to the, the pod world. pod crew. Yep. To the pod crew, yeah. yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Richard Groves. Good evening, how are you? Happy
3: Christmas. Thank you. Just gone? Just gone. Happy Christmas to you. Good break. Yeah, lovely. It was really
5: good. No, big, busy December and then a nice, good 10 days off. It's lovely.
3: Smart Group are organising Hospitality Rocks on um, Friday.
5: Well, on Friday, we've got Hospitality Rocks, which is our Christmas party for the industry. Really good night out. It's the last big hurrah before we all get settled into health eating and veganism. And
3: It's a celebration, isn't it? Because for those that don't know it, it's for people in events and hospitality often hardly get a Christmas, right? Or don't get a Christmas mm. party yeah. because
5: they're so busy working. Mm. So this is for them? Yeah, basically it's them to to have a really good time, let their hair down and just do what they've been watching other people do for the last 28 days. Fantastic. And the ultimate test
3: of every New Year's resolution. Out the window, <laughs> yeah, straight away. <laughs> straight out. Yeah. I'm going to it and I am terrified of undoing the small amount of good work I've done in the eight days since, <laughs> since New Year's.
4: Willpower, Ed. Willpower.
3: Yeah, exactly. Willpower. And having Richard there to check up on me. <laughs> As you might expect, first pod of 2020, a new decade, some trends for our listeners, trends for 2020. Um, we're going to talk through some of those, but wanted to start with something that looked cool. This, this is the National Outdoor Events Association. They've launched a new campaign to encourage better treatment of staff, volunteers, and attendees at events. So, a new campaign, simply branded Respect will include a respect charter that events-based organisations can sign up to. The aim is for events businesses to demonstrate a zero-tolerance approach to harassment of any kind at any event. Sounds like a great thing. Is this needed? Is this overdue? I think it is needed
5: to a degree. It's something that um, we keep an eye on because there's a lot of young people who are really just doing shifts and, and coming in to help at events and they should be able to just get on with their job and, and have a, a reasonable time. There's not a lot of angst um you know only if you lose your bag at the end of the night at two o'clock in the morning you get a bit angry and a bit lippy but you know on the whole it tends to be good however there's a caveat to that this year at um, one of the Christmas parties we were doing some of the guests there thought it was amusing to pick up some um, truffles and macaroons off a tray that the waitress was carrying around and throw them at her. and the same thing Mm -hmm. happened at the pick and mix stall now that is not acceptable you know that, that girl was 20 she was just doing a shift at 12 pounds an hour, what it was, and just, you know, that was her job. And we reported it to the client, and the client took it incredibly seriously. The directors all were very aware that that could have been their daughter, who was, you know, just uni as well. And it's just not funny. There is nothing acceptable in that behaviour at all. It's not, you know, it's just very drunken, boorish behaviour
4: you know certainly with outdoor events um you know a lot of this stuff is is fueled by alcohol in, intake isn't it and people thinking that it's hilariously funny to to behave in that manner um or i mean even even people just getting overly lippy and aggressive um you know there are signs all over the tube saying obviously don't be aggressive to our staff at the, you know there's no reason why it shouldn't apply to um to event staff um and you know I certainly wouldn't accept it if anybody was rude to any of our event staff but, and you absolutely we we do see instances of it of it without a shadow of a doubt
5: hmm. yeah it's it's just people not used to either having someone help them. Because they don't go to lots of restaurants or whatever it is, and they don't—they're not used to people serving them, and they don't quite know how to act. Plus the alcohol, Mm. plus all their peer group getting overexcited as well, and it just—it just starts getting a bit ugly. And it doesn't happen much, um, but you're absolutely right; it needs to be stamped on quite quickly if it's going to happen.
3: I don't know them well. National Outdoor Events Association. Do you guys know them?
5: I've heard of them.
4: I've heard of them too, actually. Um, but I think, it's, I think probably it's quite prevalent in the outdoor events arena because when you're talking about festivals and you're mm. talking about people who have been drinking all day mm. as well as continuing to drink all night and people being lippy probably to um, storeholders that are serving food and you know, people who are clearing stuff up, and you can imagine it would be quite prevalent mm. in that environment.
3: Seems like, seems like a good thing. So National Outdoor Events Association campaign is called Respect... Have a look at that online. Keep an eye out for that. So, event trends. There are tons of event predictions, event trend for, for 2020 articles around there. I thought I'd take one of them. This is from uh, Corporate Event News. Um, and I thought we would go through and unpick some of these trends. Uh, are they accurate? Are they how you guys see things? So, number one, meeting events industry growing at 8%. Annually, you hear this a lot. Everything is 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 on the up. On average, twenty to 35, twenty-five to thirty percent of overall marketing budgets are being spent on live events. Did you guys see that?
4: I think that's um, fair. I mean, I would question whether or not um, where the statistics actually come from and when where they're based, because I suspect that based on which um, continent or country um, we're we're looking at, that would probably vary. I think that the reality is that probably the stability that has now been created as a result of 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 the election as well has probably um, will have a a very positive effect on on people who were sitting on the fence not Mm. wanting to plan things because obviously last year as much as actually we had an amazing year last year and probably our best performing year ever it was rife full of uncertainty and there was a lot of political and political fighting and economic uncertainty, not knowing which way the country was going to swing. So I think now that, irrespective of which direction anybody voted in, now that there is a level of this is the route that we right. are taking, that has to be a positive a positive thing. Um, we certainly have never experienced anybody pulling out of... Um, of events based on um you know, the set sort of circumstances from from last year, And I think that this year will be a highly positive, positive year, and that the growth will continue to happen.
3: The last podcast we did was just on the eve of the election. Mm. So, Charlotte, you're saying the election brings sanity brings stability. Is that the is that because of who won? is it the nature of the majority? What is it that provides that?
4: I don't necessarily think it's because of actually, um I think if you asked, Many people, what they thought about the current leader of the country, there's still a very probably divisive mm. answer to that. Mm. Um, but yet, at the same time, I think it was quite an extraordinary result and I think shocked the country, actually, at how um, uh, how significant that result actually really
5: was. The um, Conservative Party is probably more attuned to business and industry and therefore they feel a bit more comfortable that nothing's going to be materially different in taxation and going forward and corporation tax so I think it's just everybody's breathed a sigh of relief mm. and saying yeah brilliant we can get on with it now and you know we'll, we'll do events. The number of mobile apps created
3: according to this article has more than doubled since 2017 and it says this number seems, seems very very high. Mobile apps are now used at more than 80% of events and three quarters of
5: attendees will download an event app on average. I assume that must be mice events rather than social events, as well because it, it must be something to do with meetings, because and conferences, because it can't just be you know going to a party or a wedding or a Christmas party or something. It, it it seems like an american number to me
4: it's i mean it's i think that we are still in the uk very behind on on the on the technology actually with the whole app scenario i find that statistic quite su- shocking because i think most app um options out there are still relatively average and not necessarily user friendly um so um and certainly with the client base that we've got we are really st- still having to hugely sell in the, the the reasons behind having an event app and actually you know if you're gonna if you're gonna buy into having an event app and it's gonna cost you five grand to have it let's say as a round figure you know the question is why are we having it what benefit are we actually getting from it um, rather than just thinking oh the rest of the world's you know buying into having an app we must have it well what what for what's its purpose Mm. Um, so I find that stat surprisingly high. I find it really country. high. I think there's loads of <clears throat> loads
3: of great reasons for like to, to, to have out for the organize mm. for the organizer and for the and for the delegate. But that seems, I mean, that, that seems ridiculously high to me. I've never been at an event where where it's been that high. I can't even think. Richard, you mentioned there might be some kind of American types of meetings where it's that high. I can't even imagine. we yeah, think of at, anywhere. Look at an
5: Event Lab. You know, yeah. Do you do you, what do people do there? That's a face to face event and yeah. people are going talking to people yeah, you know, lab they, they and we... might pick up their you know their, their details and swipe them or something or they might do a cube um, number and do that sort of thing but it, I can't imagine them downloading 80% of something whilst on site
3: I don't think yeah it, it wasn't 80% we'd have loved it to be and it was, it was much higher than it was the previous year we went paperless at event lab mm. and, and that really helps and I think um, and there are so many tons of benefits to us as the organizer of event lab to having people using the app I mean Environmental is is just one of them. There's loads of business advantages to getting people to do it, but getting people up to 80% is is a real challenge.
4: Well, it's an amazing way to capture data. I mean, that's from a business perspective. Probably the primary advantage of of having an event app is being able to then capture all of the data that's actually stored within it for after after the event so that you can utilise that, you know, based on your marketing strategies. But um, I think in this country that certainly within the professional services market, we're still having to really, really sell it in as as, a, as an absolute must-have, mm. um, because people are sort of thinking, well, okay, well, you know, is it come? Is it difficult to design it? Um, do we really want to spend this money on this particular thing? Is it really absolutely necessary? Um, I would say probably sixty percent of the events that we're doing, we definitely don't have apps for.
5: Well, the, the, the events business <clears throat> is there to generate face-to-face meetings and 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 to. Put people in a room and, and get ideas or give them enthusiasm to do something new and change direction i can see the app benefit of people downloading stuff and you know, presentations that people might do or videos or something So you know, if it's now floating around in, in space and you can just pull it down to your phone and take it away with you but why put people in a room and then just do an app-based thing you might as well leave them at home and let them do it
3: i think one thing it can do is, is, is alert people when they're close to a uh, an exhibitor or a piece of content that's relevant to them based on what, what that organiser might know about them. Yeah. I and it, it can give them alert, things like that. But it, it is hard to get people to... I mean,
4: it's, it's if if it's got the capacity to actually link every single person that's there to be able to have a sort of messaging um, facility and you've got, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 people in a room and they and various people want to actually connect with people from different offices around the world, then that's really, really useful. But... I mean, we're still just struggling to get people to actually sort of really buy into it. Mm. It's not something that we're doing every, for every single event that we, that we host.
3: So some healthy scepticism remains in, in 2020 on on, on apps, but um, perhaps came, came some way last year. Um, another trend, event organisers increasingly focused on safety and security.
5: I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Security particularly. Mm-hmm. You know, we are in a major city. Things things do happen, as they did in December. It's an uncertain world out there. Forget the political situation, which has settled down a bit here. But globally, we're in an unsettled world. And I think you know, nothing has really changed on that basis.
4: Well, and we have to provide health and safety documentation for pretty much every single event that we do. And I think that there's a massive pull for um, independent venues to look a lot more closely at that, as well as just big um, hotel properties. So it's a, it's a very hot topic, especially after what happened. There are
3: headlines recently in the last couple of days, hyperbolic or otherwise, about the World War Three on the horizon. As you say, Richard, seems to have <clears> calmed down a bit recently. But does that have an impact on the global meeting events?
5: In this? Um, I don't think... I, not that people are knee-jerking react, uh, yeah. to it and then saying well, we're not going to fly anywhere, but we, we haven't got to that point. You know, It's not like after 9-11 when all the planes stayed yeah. on the ground. But um, you know, people are aware, and people are aware of... Um, security rings and, and you know who's coming and you know where, where, how they can get there and how they can get people away and what the public implications are so it, it's still, it's always out there but I, don't, I, I think you know globally it's all been going on all the time and you've just got to be sort of sensible about who you're inviting and how they're going to get in and out.
4: I mean crikey if it's not Iran it's North Korea isn't it so um, you, you know it, it's there's always somebody that's <clears throat> that's you know and, and Donald Trump likes to have a fight with someone. So um, at the moment, <laughs> it's Iran he's fighting with, you know, and I don't, I, you know, there's, there's instability, you know, there's been instability in Syria for, for so many years now. And, you know, um, I think that we have to, you know, a bit like Brexit, you have to continue with life as normal, because there's always going to be unrest in some part of the mm. world.
3: Mm.
4: And somebody fighting with somebody else.
3: People no longer simply attend events, they expect to be active participants.
4: That's absolutely 100% correct. The days of just sitting theatre style in a conference room and just listening to death by PowerPoint, I I think, are well and truly over.
3: Lectures and passive observation are out, it says.
4: (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Discussion and active engagement are in. So it's now about breakout spaces. It's about sitting in a round. It's about um, listening to content and being actively asked to participate in that content. Content is king.
3: Content is king. And here it says, some events are now using cameras and facial recognition software to measure sentiment. So are people actually having fun in real time? So instead of uh, whatever it might be, surveys or or whatever it is to measure... uh, uh, Measuring engagement and entertainment they are they're, they're, they're watching. Gone, you. gone
4: are the days of falling asleep at the back of the classroom. Then mm. clearly, <laughs> um, I, and I That's
3: think I'd hadn't heard of that. Terrifying, it's very big brother isn't it? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so you just have to smile all the time basically.
4: <laughs> well, I mean, that's only if the content's going to actually inspire you to do so. So one of the challenges that we've um, always had is that, you know, we can produce the most exciting experience for a conference that we can come up with. But yet if the content is inherently dull and, and the people that are presenting it and and you've got sort of 15 people in a business that all want to get up on stage and all want to have a um, a, a go at presenting because they, you know, they think they're the next big thing. That just it's it's a killer. And you have to be able to advise and consult with with clients say, okay, well, this is, you know, the environment and creating the environment is one thing, but actually being consultative about how to deliver the show, if you like, is something completely different.
5: It's the finance director doesn't have to do finance. No,
4: the finance director is actually totally irrelevant in this situation. Mm. Nobody's interested. Just give us the bottom line Mm. of this is our target. Um, This is what we've done. This is where we're trying to get to. But no, he does not need to be up there doing. I mean, I've been at events where you've got somebody who is an analyst who has literally got the smallest screen in the world and has got. Um, a presentation with a million graphs and a million sort of pie charts and everything else. And nobody can actually see it and nobody cares. Um, and actually it's usually real estate agents that suffer from this because they're desperate to show you what the peaks and troughs in the market are doing. And and everybody's looking in the audience and sort of thinking, well, I really don't care about any of this. Hmm. You know, um, get me outside so I can, you know, engage with... I don't know some piece of software or you know some new gizmo or mm. um, have a chat to a, have a chat to a colleague or give me a glass of wine.
3: So that's a unanimous, pr- pretty unanimous mm-hmm. agreement. Yeah. Content. Absolutely. I think I, I suspect you're going to unanimously agree with this <laughs> uh, with this one as well. I'm not sure about this list. It's a kind of mix of um, outlandish stats and and blindingly <laughs> obvious statements, but it's the one we've got. Um, content needs to extend beyond the event.
5: Well, I think yes, people are very That's very important these days because people just don't want someone to come, spend four hours in their presence and then go away and not think about what they've either learnt or or take their message with them. And especially if you're trying to sell to them, then that's why the app thing works. That's why the continuation of information flow after the event and and reminding them why they came and reminding them of the points that they learnt and, and taking it on from just turning up on the Monday and then losing sight of that client on the Monday afternoon again. I think it's very important.
4: I think that there's also, um, for a lot of in-house teams especially, um, the focus is on the creation and the delivery. And yet it's not often so much on the follow through afterwards. So it's very easy to focus all of your attention on actually getting through the whole process of delivering the event and the creation of, of what it needs to look like based on the objective. But probably one of the most important fundamentals is the post event follow through in terms of the what the campaign looked like as an overall piece of activity rather than just thinking of the event in isolation but actually what was it what was its objective and actually therefore what does what does that look like in 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 reality after the event's taken place what are we trying to achieve who are we trying to talk to um what does that messaging need to look like once the event's been and gone because it's you know you can have 500 people in a room and all of a sudden people have thought yeah this is a fantastic event but then within a week they've forgotten about it but it's how you keep plugging into those people post event with yeah. the content to no, be, uh,
5: be entertained or educated by someone else the next well, exactly,
4: week exactly exactly
5: what about you guys
3: any kind of big things that jump out for you this year that you're i mean i guess you, you probably sat down with your businesses in january and talked about the focus for for 2020 is there any kind of big things i think that, it's
5: it's it's a lot of it's down to delivery and and you know a lot of people are talking about sustainability and sourcing and always do and mm-hmm. it, it's almost oh, getting to a wry smile now that people are oh yes but I think that is going to be vitally important. It feels more. There are some really major companies out there. Some of the fossil fuel heavy users, particularly, are are only using agencies that have gone through some amazingly high levels of engagement on green issues. Um, And that's the only people they will use. And it's getting more and more important because end clients, consumers are all asking about it and all being told about it all the time. So it's it's almost like coming back from, from the consumer to say, so, if we go to this event, what are they doing about the carpet or the drugget or the marquee or the flooring or you know, how much diesel are they using? Because, some, because they've been told so much about it in other parts of their lives. And I think it, it, it can be very easy to be skeptical about it and cynical, but actually it is vitally important. And we're all, we can't all turn into Gretas, but we can all do our bit. And people are asking us every day mm. what are you doing about food s- waste?
3: We've Similar thing at High space. People seem to be taking it on both sides of the market, the, the venues and the suppliers and the, and the clients on the other side. People seem to be meaning it when they say it.
4: Well, you can't really, you can't really get away from it. And, you know, it's become such a prevalent topic. Um, it's on the news every two minutes as mm. well. And, you know, everybody we have to all be doing um, our piece um, towards it. Our industry has to evolve in that way mm. and things have to change.
3: If we're going to pick something to define not just 2020, but the 2020s, the whole decade... Do we think this this might be it? Sustainability, and another question for you: What defined the 2010s?
5: The back end of it was political instability. You know, nothing was happening, and and yeah. people were hunkering down, and and the economy was in the doldrums, and it wasn't wasn't great. At the beginning, it was security, because a lot had been going on in the first five or six years of the decade. And this year, yeah, I think it, I think we're, this one's a, a long-term one. This is not just a knee-jerk reaction, like health and safety and not electrocuting people at events this is a proper grown-up long-term this is going to be 20-30 years of engagement
4: yes and i would i would agree with that i mean you know it's it's something that is going to become more a, a bigger and bigger and bigger topic um how that develops over the course of time and how more products developed actually will continue to be quite interesting to see how that um evolves um, you know, you've got a a younger generation of individuals who are heavily involved in, um, in sustainability anyway, who work within our within our sector, who are vegan, who are not drinking, who are um, heavily supporting the environment. Um, and those individuals will progress th- their careers and it will just become second nature to, to businesses to, to behave in a sustainable fashion. So, yeah, I definitely think that that's a major, a major theme
3: great we're out of time listeners if you have any (laughs) questions about this topic or anything else send them in eventlab at higherspace.com we will always endeavor to answer them on the news digest we will be back in two weeks time thanks charlotte
4: great to see you ed
3: great to see you thank you richard thank you ed see you on see you on friday (laughs) Friday. hospitality garage (laughs) no snitching (laughs) (laughs) i'm watching
0: I hope you all enjoyed the first News Digest of 2020. Next up, Joseph Yammerbund and I discuss mentoring programmes.
1: Joseph, thank you for braving the cold and coming in to have a chat with us. Pleasure. Good to meet you, Joe. Have you come very far? Um, I haven't actually, no. I've just come from Islington today. Well,
0: that's, that's still, that can still be rough at rush hour. It's okay. It was just before rush hour, so we're all good. Um, So you've come in to talk to us about mentoring programmes, something we've touched on in a couple of episodes recently, um, but something we definitely want to go into in a bit more detail. First off, could you just tell our listeners a bit more about your involvement with mentoring programmes?
1: Sure. So um, I've been involved in mentoring programmes for the last um, four or five years or so. So I initially started uh, with... Uh, Fast Forward 15, um, Mm -hmm. which is um, run by Faye Sharp. Um, She contacted me out of the blue and she said, I think it'd be great for this uh, mentoring program. And I thought, I know nothing about (laughs) you or your program, uh, but let's have a coffee. Um, And so we did and we hit it off. And um, I did uh, two two cycles, so two years of uh, mentoring with her. And off the back of that, um, I got involved with a couple of other mentoring programs, one of which is um, Elevate, which um, is run by a couple of friends of mine, um, Max and Mel. um, And then also recently, through my involvement of the Event Academy, um, I also mentored a couple of their younger students. Mm -hmm. As they were transitioning from one course to another, um, we felt that they needed some uh, some guidance. um, And that's uh, where I came and um, just helped them just to get them ready for their next course.
0: Okay. Um, Would you say you sort of took to the role of mentor quite quickly or was it an adjustment?
1: It, It was quite a natural transition from, I guess, having managed teams in the past or managing teams to looking after the needs of an individual who isn't necessarily directly connected with me um, which obviously put me at an advantage that um, I don't really know the ins and outs of their business and you know Mm -hmm. and and how they work etc and I kind of come in as an outside voice to support them and to um, to advise them and to mentor them. You come from a
0: background in fashion events Would you say it's a bit of a baptism of fire? Working in the fashion industry. Uh, And the events industry, both at the same time. For me, you mean?
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I kind of slipped into the event industry um, as a very fortunate aside. Um, I wanted to get into event production and um, I uh, was offered an internship at Inca and through that by default I did a lot of fashion shows I worked on London Fashion Week events um, and all of that was great and I guess looking back uh, there probably was a moment of baptism with fire but I took to it and I, I loved it and obviously that's why I'm still in the industry.
0: I think a, a lot of films like uh, The Devil Wears Prada and uh, Largely Bay kind of spoiled the reputation that it had for uh, for, for people just starting out in, in their career and that relationship that mentors have with with people starting out it, would you say that's sort of completely false
1: uh it's not completely false it's also not completely true (laughs) Um, obviously the film is uh is fiction but it is also based on on reality Mm -hmm. and on real events so you can kind of take from it what you want uh of course from the outside world it might look one way and on the inside it could be that way too but um my experience in the fashion industry um has mostly been very positive and uh some of the people that i've worked with very closely um may they may appear from the outside to be perhaps you know scary dominant (laughs) individuals but actually um, uh yeah no they've been great and they've been you know really hands-on and they've been um you know very caring and also i guess mentors Mm -hmm. you know in, in some shape or form and certainly people that i look up to still
0: And a a few of our listeners might even be looking to sort of like looking into maybe joining a mentoring program. And I think probably a a question that will be at the forefront of their mind is what effects uh, having a mentor has on your career progression?
1: Well, um, actually, most uh, mentees, uh, you know, they're usually looking for some sort of career progression. Absolutely. Um, And I guess uh, what a mentor can bring is this outside voice. So what they what they can offer you is is. Uh, an independent voice they can offer you some independent advice um, and um, they will just sit and listen to you and you know they don't work with you day in day out so you have a very different relationship with a mentor than you would do with let's say a line manager I think people are more likely to open up to a mentor and certainly Mm -hmm. that's been my experience is uh, it takes a little while so it's not a a sort of a a one-off conversation and the first coffee you have you kind of just need to you need to find your you need to find your balance your level between um, each other and Certainly, um, from my point of view, is I felt that if I wanted the mentee to open up and, you know, really tell me what's happening with their career progression, sometimes with their life, um, <laughs> it was quite often I had to open up. And I felt like yeah. the more I open up and the more I, I was forthcoming, um, the more they would open up. So it's very much a a, a mirroring exercise. And on, on the other side of the coin, what would you say it takes to be a good mentor? Um You have to be a really good listener, Um, so... uh that's, that would be number one. I think number two is also having the patience, um, because quite often, um, you know, I would be talking to someone who just doesn't know what they want and don't know, it, it, they, they come to me or they would come and say, oh, you know, I don't have it. I don't feel like I have enough confidence. Yet they have enough confidence to apply to this program. They have enough yeah. confidence to, you know, stand up and, you know, and, and talk in front of people. So it wasn't always confidence. It's, um, uh, you know, sometimes they just needed a bit of a bit of guidance bit of outside guidance yeah. and, and a helping hand um you know just to tackle some of the internal issues and i think once you once you're in a difficult situation at work and whether that's to do with your career progression or an issue with a line manager or, or you know somebody that you're line managing yourself i think it's just important um uh to you know for me as a mentor not to be connected mm-hmm. to that and just to be completely um, um you know have a unique voice you know be a complete outsider and just offer my advice but um not necessarily um I guess the ideal way for me to do it is to guide someone to an answer. So rather than me telling you, this is what I think you should do is have a conversation, you know, and then by the end of that conversation, get them to think about various different outcomes yeah, and to then think, Oh, okay, well maybe this is, this is the right way for you to do it. And and I, I I would always try and finish a mentoring session with, you know, some kind of homework, something (laughs) for them to think about rather than them walking away with the problem solved is actually with them walking away with the tools to, to to solve the problem themselves
0: and a lot of people say um you know when when everything's going really well with your career like something you should always be looking to do is
1: is to teach others and it's it's a way that you can sort of further growing yourself and would you say you've gotten a lot out of it as well yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, once I started mentoring, at the same time, I also um, started lecturing. And I have certainly been involved with, uh, you know, students and younger people a lot more. And, you know, certainly, um, I've learned a lot along the way about myself and, you know, realizing how much I know. And I think once you're once you're in the job you kind of just get on with it and you kind of just go from day to day from project to project and then only when you when you really stop and you sort of explain to someone else what you do in great detail and you're trying to help someone else resolve an issue or resolve a problem then um, you realize you've gone through all this already so mm-hmm. uh, you know you're, you're, you're much better equipped to help with that yeah and
0: um, I mean, obviously, you, you get a lot out of out and, and the the mentees can get a lot out of it as well. But um, do you think
1: it's something that the events industry like as an industry should be supporting? 100%. I think there probably isn't enough of it. Um, and I think um, it should get more support and recognition. And I think there definitely is room in the market for, um, you know, more mentoring schemes, maybe even more targeted mentoring schemes.
0: What do you think is needed to run an effective mentoring programme?
1: Uh, from a mentor's point of view, um, I think it's structure. I think mm-hmm. it really helps um, to have a really clear structure that runs, you know, from day one to, you know, to the to the graduation day. I think it's really good to have some sort of structure. Also, um, y- you know, it's important that both of you uh, sign up to this mentoring program, whether that's three months six months a year and you really commit to it as well mm-hmm. um and you know uh, an hour a month doesn't sound a lot but if you uh, or two hours or whatever it is but if you're busy and you still haven't had your hour or your two hours this week and you're like, oh my God, it's already the end of the month and I yeah, haven't done yeah. it. So I think it's commitment. And also uh, I, I try and um, finish a mentoring session and setting up the next appointment. You have mm-hmm. to stick with it. You know, yeah. sometimes you meet for breakfast, sometimes you meet after work, sometimes you meet during the day, sometimes, you know, you have a Skype call, that sort of thing. But it's important that you commit and that you really deliver that as well. So I think structure is important. Um, but also I think it's really important to pair the mentor and the mentee and, you know, to select two people that, uh you know, potentially a great fit whether that's done by whoever runs the mentoring program or you know there's a speed dating element to <laughs> this or you know whether you give someone um uh, a, a a short shortlist of candidates for example and you would um you know get them to then do the final interviews and make the selection i think mm-hmm. there needs to be some kind of a some kind of a, a connection between the two people i think it's hugely important that there is um uh, you know some chemistry you know and whether you know in the past i felt that you know i could maybe help with one thing or I could help with another thing. And, you know, I look at someone and I say, oh, you know, I I'm I feel like I'm, I'm not able to be creative enough. And then I was thinking, well, how can I do that? That's kind of a challenge for me is yeah. how can I help them be more creative? So, um, but I think it's just also just chatting to, to people and, you know, just being aware of, you know, what their needs are and, uh, you know, whether I can even give them enough as a mentor, whether, you know, I've, I feel like I have enough to give to that particular person, because I've also had an instant where someone went, oh, you should really, you know, this, this, this girl is perfect for you. And then uh, we spoke on the phone and I thought, no, I, I, yeah. d- I don't think, I actually think she's probably too advanced for to me. I think she she doesn't need me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she needs, you know, someone who, who has run their own business successfully for years. She doesn't need me. Um, so uh, I went with someone different.
0: Okay. So matching people up is really, matching the I think right it's person, really important, uh, yeah. So you're a company, and you've decided that you'd like to be a part of mentoring programs, but you don't really know where to start. What's what's a good
1: way of getting it going? As a mentor, or as a a, someone who organises the mentoring program. Uh, I think uh, talk to people in the industry and mm-hmm. I think before you embark on a mentoring program and it's like this is what I'm going to do is I think do your field research and actually find out what's needed and what yeah. what is it that people want you know what we just spoke about a moment ago is you know yes it's needed but what exactly is needed so I think it's important to go out there speak to people and maybe find your specialism you know you mentioned the plumber you know and you know and the lawyer so obviously these are highly specialized people so you know maybe there is one for fashion people or there is one for um, you know venue salespeople, or yeah. there is one for people who want to do private events all of that kind of stuff I think it's it's you know being specialist um, I think is really key
0: What's the one thing when you're
1: a mentee that you wish a mentor had told you? Worry less <laughs> I think that's the most important thing I, I worry too much about everything um, and I wish someone told me don't worry about it too much it's going to be great <laughs> which is really. what I try and tell people all the time
0: Alright thank you so much Joseph for coming in good really good appreciate it and uh, looking forward to seeing you again Thank you Next up, Ella Priest is in the studio to discuss events apprenticeships and her first year in the events industry. Ella, thanks so much for coming in.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. How was your New Year's?
2: So I was in Tenerife for New Year's, so it was oh, lovely. I was in the heat, 28 degrees, down the seafront, cocktails. So I can't really complain <laughs> at all.
0: Friends or family? Family. Ah, oh, nice.
2: Yeah, it was lovely. Nice to get away for a bit.
0: Brilliant. And and does that mean that your New Year's started a bit ahead of the UK or was it a bit behind?
2: It was actually the exact same time. Oh, no way. Okay. So it's really easy. Can say Happy New Year's at the same time as everyone. We were in Abu Dhabi last year. So that was just really confusing with all the timings.
0: So um, we thought it would be brilliant um, to have you on um, because there will be a lot of our listeners that are sort of like looking for apprenticeships, maybe thinking about apprenticeships in the events industry. And we thought it'd be really good to hear from someone who's who's been doing it for a year. Mm. You've been working at uh, 58VE for about a year. How's it been going? Yeah,
2: it was a year yesterday. It's been amazing. (laughs) Can't fault them at all. It's been a great experience. I've learned so much. Highly recommend doing an apprenticeship to anyone who... Is thinking about it. Did you find
0: it difficult to find apprenticeships in the events industry? Were you looking for a while?
2: It does take a while to find the right one, I think. I wouldn't say it was particularly challenging. It's kind of finding the right one for you. And there's a lot of competition as well. Particularly for me, I went to um, the actual JGA groups, Mm -hmm. which is like the training provider. Um, When you see how many people are going for the same ones, it gets a bit intimidating at points and you're kind of going against different people. But it wasn't difficult as such. I think once you find the right one for you, then you can kind of go off that.
0: And and what made the one at 58V sort of stand out for you?
2: So I didn't really know what I wanted to go into. There's mm-hmm. so many different fields and events. And for me, I had no clue about any of it. All I knew is that I wanted to organize events. So going from agents to like venues and being client side, I had like no clue about any of that. So I had to really do my research beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went into different interviews in all three of them. And when I went to 58VE, I loved the spaces, I just loved the venue, I loved the people and I thought it was a really good place to grow um, and to learn before I went and into different paths.
0: And what uh, sort of resources were you using to, to find your this apprentice? Where were you looking?
2: So I was looking uh, mainly on the apprenticeship government website, um, which mm-hmm. comes up with loads and is really handy. You put your CV on there, anything about you. Like hobbies and stuff like that and you get to talk to different people and then people can contact you or you can contact different people and apply for their apprenticeships. Uh, I was also applying on Indeed Mm -hmm. um, and I had a few agents contact me as well from just seeing my uh, CV up on pages like that and that's actually how I got the 58V job Um, a lady from Tyro Talent she um, approached me, and then she found that job for me. So,
0: so it was actually for you quite um, useful to have to be registered with these agencies, so that they're sort of out looking for stuff for you.
2: Yeah, definitely. I'd say just put your CV out there as much as you can. Just, just people will find you, um, and then you can go from there.
0: Some people have in their head that uh, like being an apprentice is just sort of like making the tea. I think I can probably already (laughs) guess that in the events industry, it's probably not quite like that. Would you say it's pretty different?
2: It's completely different in the events industry. And so many people think that as well. When they see apprentice at the end of your name, they think, you know, you're not going to be in the same thing as everyone else. Um, but it's completely different. I think with events, it's kind of all hands on deck. Whenever you can get involved, they want you involved. I know for me, I've been really lucky. My team give me a lot of responsibilities and I know that's the same with a lot of the girls in my apprenticeship group as well. Mm -hmm. Their managers are really great and they give them loads of work to do. And we're always constantly busy and it's a great place to learn and to grow as well because you're given so much opportunity and you get to go to different events and you get to organize your own events and, um, that's just a great place to make mistakes and to learn and to grow as a person as well.
0: Brilliant. And what sort of experience do you think made you stand out to them when they when they were interviewing you?
2: To be honest, I have no clue <laughs> because I had no experience whatsoever. Um I was doing a lot of charity events with mm-hmm. my school.
0: Well, that's that's still events, though. That's still yes. like, relevant. It's not, it's not like you're jumping into it from nowhere. Like it, how, That's a great experience to get if you've got yeah. even charity events.
2: Yes, yeah, so I was um, the head of my chari- charity committee when I was in sixth form. So I was organising like a week of events for that. So that's kind of where my passion came from with events. I knew I wanted to do it from that. So I think once they kind of understood how passionate I was about and how much I really wanted to learn, I think that was kind of... The point
0: and so how would you describe your experience in your sort of first year events so far
2: i think it's just been amazing it's definitely not what i thought it was gonna be what um, did you think it was gonna be i don't know i think i think every job well when you're not working you don't know what to expect but office jobs you don't know what to expect as, as such i think it's more like kind of being bored typing away at a desk all day or you know Going downstairs, like just telling people like how to organise the events, but it's so much more than that. Mm. There's so many like different details that you don't even think of until you're kind of in that job role, and then you know just going down how we like we set up all the rooms ourselves so how to fit that many people into a room or you know set up that room you just don't even think about it until you're doing it (laughs) yeah so I think that was just yeah
0: and the and the rest of the team at the at your venue have been really supportive in helping you with that
2: yeah I've been so lucky with my team everyone's really understanding um they let me go off and do my apprenticeship and then they give me a lot of responsibilities, and they're willing to sit down with me and teach me new things and help me learn. If I make a mistake, it's not a big deal, you know. Everyone makes mistakes, especially me at the start. So yeah, I've been really lucky with my team. They're lovely people.
0: And um, obviously, the other route um, that some people take into events is studying at university and then going on. How would you say your experience sort of differs from from what they might go through?
2: So I think with apprenticeships, you're doing a lot of learning and working at the same time so I think it really depends on what kind of learner you are for me Mm -hmm. I'm a lot I'm a practical learner so I need to you know be in that situation uh, working for me I can't be sitting with books I don't want to be in a classroom I just want to go and actually get into the working world Um, I think for uni students who are doing degrees it's really good to learn that technical side of it sit down with the books if that's what you're like Um, but with apprenticeships you get to do that maybe one day a week and Mm -hmm. then the rest of it you get to work and you're making money as well. So
0: So it really works well for you if you're quite practically minded.
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, if you you need to see something or, you know, you need to do something to actually learn it, then that's definitely the path you need to be taking.
0: And you think you've learned a lot from the apprenticeship already?
2: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) A year in, um, I've learned so much already, just like all the technical... um, Stuff going through like marketing, doing budgeting. Um, we've done like agendas, and we've just gone through so much already. And it's it's been a great experience to learn everything. It really helps when you're putting it into practice at work as well.
0: And and for those that are, that are looking to do something similar to you, what advice would you give
1: them?
2: I think you just got to take every opportunity um, that you're given because you just learn from everything you do and if you you know if you mess up it's fine because everyone's really understanding well usually they are Mm -hmm. if you're as lucky as me and um they just want to help you and see you grow so just dive straight into it and
0: and you think it's good to sort of say yes to sort of pretty pretty much any and well not anything (laughs) anything.
2: well as uh, much as you can mm -hmm. yeah definitely and
0: do you have a way of sort of choosing what you think will be useful or what won't be
2: um I do talk to my manager, my colleagues a lot about different opportunities that come up. I say, do you think this would be good for me? Because obviously they've got a lot more experience than me. But initially I'd just say yes, I think, to most things. Any events that come up, I always register. get my name on the list, go to different things, meet new people. Because you never know, meeting new people can get you down different paths and like, new opportunities. So, yeah, we try and attend everything we can and do everything we can. So
0: Brilliant. And what, what do you think will be the next step for you? Um, in an ideal world
2: yeah, ideal world, I'd love to stay in events so whether that's venue or going to something different I think it would be nice to experience a few things Um, and then eventually I'd like to continue doing events maybe start up a company or something like that so big dreams (laughs) fantastic, well
0: I wish you all the best with that hope it goes really well, sounds like you've already made a really great start Um, and thank you again for coming on and talking to us thank
2: you for having me
0: while we're waiting for news on Event Lab 2020, you may be interested to know that Event Lab run a series of smaller events throughout the year. If you're interested in finding out more, go to eventlab.online and sign up for our newsletter. There will be a link in the show notes below. If you enjoy the show, make sure to rate us on iTunes and Stitcher on the podcasting app of your choice. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab.online. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab.hirespace.com. Thanks for listening.